Thank you, Lord. Father, we worship you, praise you. Thank you that this is the day that you've made, that we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, as we enter into this time of your word, Father, I thank you, Lord, that signs and wonders will accompany the preaching and teaching of the word this morning. That, Father, this will touch every heart. That, Lord, not one person will leave this room the same. Lord, I am praying and asking you, Lord, for change for each and every one of us. Lord, I ask and pray, Lord, that each moment that we become more and more um, less like us and more like you, we worship you and we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Hallelujah. He's a good God, isn't he? Well, um, let's look at 1 Thessalonians. This has kind of been where we've been all year. It's funny, you start off with giving some vision and you know, we're five and a half months into it, and I feel like I'm still giving vision. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians, and this is kind of our foundational scripture for this year. This is where I believe this is a great pattern for us as a church to follow, and I believe that if we do these three things, that we will have the same results that those in the Thessalonian church and the Berean church and all those early churches, the power that they experienced. You know, I was praying the other day, and I, I still know we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I felt like the Lord said, you know, you're a church of revelation. We get revelation here, don't we? When we come to church, I feel like we get revelation. The preachers and teachers that God brings to this pulpit, I believe that I am learning something, getting something from the Word every time that I come, that there's revelation knowledge here. Would you agree? There's revelation knowledge. But he said that you're short in the power. The early church was heavy in revelation and heavy in power. We're heavy in revelation, but we're not heavy in the power. And I believe that God wants to take us to a place where we're equal in both of those things again. Well, pastor, what do you mean by the power? Well, what did the early church look like? There were signs, there was wonders, there were miracles. They coveted the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They coveted prophecy. They coveted word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Miracles, faith, healings, those were not something that were special services. That was the service. Those were things that were happening in that church because they were all in one accord. Now, I do know that prayer was also a really, really big part of the early church. That was a unifying um, power of, uh, that came together when the body of Christ came together, that early church, and they were in homes, and they prayed together. And guess what? They prayed until the power came. They didn't just pray their prayers and call it a day. No, no, they prayed until something happened. And so I want to encourage you that each and every one of us, me included, we need to be more about prayer on a regular basis. There are opportunities for corporate prayer here. Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, we have corporate prayer. The first Tuesday night of every month, we have corporate prayer. Pastor Michelle and I, we pray every Wednesday night together. I pray every morning. We should be praying together. Amen? We should be praying and seeking God for the power of God in this place. The power's here right now. The power was here earlier. There was freedom in this place. That's the gifts of the Spirit in operation. So it's here, we just all got to get full. Instead of me getting full and coming, if we all got full, whoo, oh my goodness, the power of God in this place. That's where we're heading, amen? So 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And so those three things, faith, hope, and love, those are the big New Testament words. Amen? Faith, hope, and love. Do you know why that they are big New Testament words? What's different about those three words? Those three words are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. Those are three words that we are going to walk in from now into eternity. They will go with us to heaven. Faith. There will never be a time where we don't walk and live by faith. There will never be a time where we are not commanded to walk in love. There will never be a time when we don't have our hope on Jesus Christ. So why wait to get there to develop it when we can do it right here, right now? But one thing about this church, and this is something that I think we've all wondered sometimes, was this hope in the return of Jesus Christ. The early church truly believed that Jesus was coming back soon. But we don't think like that, do we? How many of you get up every morning, unless you read the news and see how bad it is, really contemplate the return of our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, many of us, when we read the Bible and we look back through the Old Testament, we see every prophecy that led to Jesus. And we're like, how could you miss that? We have the benefit of looking back through history, looking back through prophecy, and seeing Jesus. But they didn't in the Old Testament. They were looking forward. They were trying to figure this thing out. That's how we are with the book of Revelation and with the rapture of the church. We're looking forward. We don't have the experience of looking back through prophecy. We're looking forward, and that's why there's so much speculation about it. That's why for some people it's even spooky to talk about the rapture of the church. But guess what? It was spooky to talk about a baby being born of a virgin. It was spooky to think that this was going to happen. It was spooky to think that a king was going to come back and deliver Israel. They had no idea how it was going to happen, but they just knew that it had been prophesied. And they had to put their faith in the prophecies, and we have to put faith in God's Word today that guess what? Jesus is coming back very soon. Now, they believed that also 2,000 years ago, right? Do you think that people get a little, I don't know, not as expectant when something's lasted 2,000 years? If I told you I was going to give you $100 soon, that we were in the last days, and soon I was going to give you $100, if I waited 2,000 years to give you the $100, would at some point, would you quit thinking that I was going to give you the $100? Jesus is coming back soon. You can't, it's undeniable. And listen to me, God's not using the devil to foretell when he's coming back. We don't look at how evil the things are in the earth. Does everybody understand that? The Satan doesn't, de doesn't determine when we leave. God determines it, and it's already been predetermined. He knows, and God is so patient He's so patient, it says in Peter. He's so patient. It's not his will that one person, not one, should suffer. 
It's not his will that one person should miss that great appearing. So he keeps holding on and holding on, regardless of how bad and how terrible things are going in the earth. He keeps holding on because he wants one more soul. I'm just going to prolong this thing just long enough. I just, I can't. I, I, I got to keep going because I, when I, when I, when we blow this trumpet, it's over. The world as we know it ends, and we enter into an entire new realm. So I want to take a few minutes this morning, and I, I wish I could talk all about eschatology and all those things. I have studied it. I will say that it is on the hearts of people in the earth. Friday afternoon, I, I go to my health club. I work out. It has a pool. Like on Friday afternoons, one of my favorite hours of my whole week is after I'm done working out, I go to the pool and I take a nap. That's a good thing. And I take a nap, and I take my headphones, and I'm listening to Kenneth Hagin, and I'm lying in the sun, and I'm taking a nap, and there's a guy two rows over from me, and I've known him, don't know his name, but we see each other once in a while. He's been there for a number of years, don't remember any conversations I've had. And as I'm laying there in my, on my chair, and I'm in the sun, and I'm just contemplating, I'm thinking about this sermon, I'm thinking about, Lord, the rapture, talk to me about it, because there's some things about it that I just don't understand. Like, what, what shit am I putting my hope in, Lord? What? And I'm just meditating, meditating, and meditating. And I kind of open my eyes, and the guy two rows, two chairs away from me, he says, can you hear me? So I take my headphones out, and he goes, doesn't this look like the rapture? Out here by the pool, like what this is going to look like? And I said, what did you say? The Holy Spirit was talking to both of us. At the same time, he had seven pages of notes that he was getting from Second Baptist trying to learn about the rapture and the second coming. So guess what we did for the next hour? Two guys at the pool at the gym, and God said, this is why the rapture, because it's on everybody's heart right now. He's putting it on everyone's heart. His return is imminent. Now, how it's going to happen and all those types of things, I think that's where we wonder, you know, are we just going to, all of a sudden, we're just going to lose 50 pounds and everybody's going to float. I don't know. I personally believe that the angels are the reapers. I personally believe that when it's time for the rapture, God sends his angels, they come, they see the fruit that people have produced, they know which ones are his and which ones are not. And he harvests those Oral Roberts used to preach that he thought it was your guardian angel, the angel that was given to you when you were born, that that's the angel that harvests you. I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of speculation, and it can sound really, really science fiction-y, but it's the Bible. Folks, there are things in the Bible, four-headed beast, wings, eight-winged beast covered in eyes. I mean, there is some sci-fi stuff in the Bible. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not real. There is a place called heaven. There is life on other planets. Wow, we are really out there this morning, aren't we? Pastor Jack, what's that have to do with me? Everything. The early church had a hope in the return. They lived their lives like Jesus was coming back that day. Now, let me show you why they did that. It'll get better, I promise. 
really worked hard on this. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I just want to pray for that young man. Thank you, Lord. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. That is not correct. Thank you, Lord. Let's look at verse... Let's start in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. You have to notice that when Jesus was crucified, didn't buried, that he appeared back and forth. There was a 40-day period that Jesus was in the earth back and forth between heaven, and he spoke to the disciples and said some different things. And so this is, he's just getting ready to leave. And so this is Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this angel tells them that. And so what do they naturally believe? Well, he's just going to go up and come right back. So that's why they stood there gazing up into the clouds. They truly believed that when Jesus said he was coming back, that he was going to do this U-turn and immediately come back. So they actually took Jesus at their word, and it took those angels to say, all right, boys, let's get busy now. Let's get busy with the work that God has created in us for us to do so that we can prepare the time for the return of the Savior. A lot of the theologians believe that when it says patient and hope, that that meant that they were going through all kinds of trials and all through, all through the tribulations, and somehow the return of Jesus was going to be this great escape to, re, to, to free them from all those things. That's not what the rapture is all about. The rapture is not where it gets so bad on the earth that we can't take it anymore. We are a glorious church. We are going to go out in power. He is returning for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's going to come back for a church that is operating in its authority and in its power, not some weak, beggarly, afflicted body that, oh, we just can't, we're not the woman with the issue of blood. We're the ones with the garments. Do we understand that? We're the ones that are supposed to be doing the miracles. We're the ones that are supposed to have the power. We're the ones that have the word when no one else has a word. We're the ones that when times get bad, we don't get worse. We get bigger and better. We thrive in times of famine. We thrive. We increase. When economy's going in the toilet, we're increasing. When gas is $5 a gallon, I'm making more money. It doesn't matter. Gas never bothers me. The price of gas doesn't prevent me, especially, it was so funny, we had a couple that used to go here, and we had one of these gas spikes, and they were elders, you know, they felt they were mature Christians, and we had a midweek service, and they came up to us on a Sunday, well, pastor, 
we won't be able to come to the midweek service anymore. You know, we're going to be wise about gas. I said, there you go. Are you going to the grocery store? Are you going to Starbucks? You can laugh. The return of the Lord. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What's it going to be like? In the Bible, there are multiple raptures that took place. Has anybody reading along this morning in the book of Acts where we heard about James? Does anybody notice that James was translated this morning? He was caught up. He was taken away. He ministered to someone, and then he was instantly taken from that place to another. Philip, excuse me. These are not things that are foreign to us that aren't in the Bible. There are all kinds of patterns in the Bible about raptures. Who knows the first person to ever be raptured? Enoch. There's not a whole lot about Enoch, but if you look at the book of Jude, there is some uh, interesting um, commentary about what Jude did and on his return with all the saints at the end of time. We know that Jesus was raptured. We just read about it. He was there. He was taken. Uh, we know that Elijah was raptured, right? Now, raptures all have a couple of things in common, okay? And I'm way off my notes, and we're just sharing right now, okay? We're talking about the... So if someone asks you about the rapture of the church, you need to show them this isn't something that was made up by man. This is stuff that's already happened. These are things that are bona fide that have happened. These raptures, three of them have already happened. Four of them are going to... I mean, there's still four to take place, all of the raptures have a few things in common, and I want you to notice this. Number one, they all had to be witnessed. Somebody was walking with Enoch when Enoch was there, and then he wasn't. Otherwise, if Enoch just didn't come home one night, they would have thought maybe a wild beast got him, something got him. But somebody was walking with Enoch, and then all of a sudden Enoch was not there. And whoever that was had to have been somebody that was trustworthy because nobody would have believed them. It had to have been somebody that they trusted. It had to have been somebody that they respected because if had it just been a nobody, they would have said, you're crazy, we don't believe you. You killed him and took all his money. So all raptures are witnessed. When the church is raptured, it's going to be witnessed. The whole world is going to see this. Now, there is a trumpet that takes place at each one. If you go to the book of Revelation, you find when John gets taken to heaven and he has his revelation about the book of Revelation, there's a trumpet and a voice says, you know what that voice says? Come up here. There's going to be a trumpet that blows for the church, a shofar, we'll say. And you're going to hear those words, come up here. And those that know him in an, in an instant, in a flash, you're going to be transformed in a moment. Now, doesn't that sound cool? You're talking about science fiction. How's that going to look, God? I want to see that. But we're all going to be changed in an instant. There are still some raptures that will take place during the tribulation period. But guess what? We're not here. Once the rapture takes place and the church is taken out of the way, there's a seven-year period that the Bible calls the tribulation period. Folks, we do not want to be here for the tribulation period. Now, there will be people that get born again that will get raptured during that time. But folks, when the church is gone, do you know how bad it is right now in the earth with the church here? 
Imagine the world, imagine Houston, Texas without that thin blue line of policemen. Imagine a city with complete and total lawlessness, and it's pretty lawless now, but we have what's called a thin blue line. I thank God for our police officers. Thank you, Lord, for our police officers. You are a blessing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are a blessing. But imagine when the church is taken out. Now, people are still gonna be getting saved, people are still gonna be getting born, and so that will never ever stop from now until eternity, until God says so. So people will be getting born again. But why was this so important to the church? Because a rapture, from what I understand, there's three purposes to a rapture. Number one, it keeps us on our toes. If you knew that tomorrow could be the greatest, you're gonna live a life, a holy life, if you thought the rapture could happen at any time. It's supposed to produce holy living in the believer because I wanna live like he's coming back today. I don't wanna do something or start something or be in the middle of something and all of a sudden hear a trumpet and go, uh-oh. I wanna live a life that's equal to the calling that God has given me through being a believer. Number two, it makes me want to make sure that all my friends are saved because I don't want any of my friends or family to be here. It should make us evangelistic by nature. It should push us out and say, hey, I don't want anybody to go to hell. There's nobody, there's nobody that's done anything to us that's worthy of a hell that's in the middle of this earth. And number three, it should make us missions-minded that the world is bigger than my four and no more that there is a world out there that needs the gospel. It should make us globally minded, that there's things that are happening all over this earth that we need to be a part of in getting the gospel out. That's why Michelle and I are endeavoring. Everybody that we bring in, I want them to be missions and evangelism. I want missions and evangelism over and over. I want us on missions trips. I want us giving to missions. I want us in the farthest corners. I want us in Tibet. I want us on the, on the Himalayas. Wherever we need to be, I want us to be there. That is our call, church. That's our call. Go ye into all the world. And didn't say build churches. He said, make believers, make disciples. And there's no one of us, none in this room, none of us. We are all accountable for that commission. He did not just call me to get me saved so I would come to church. He's bringing me to church so that I can get filled up, so I can turn, go out, and I can be a blessing to somebody else. Now I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're sitting there this morning. We are not just feeders. I don't just come to church just to get fed. I'm a doer. I'm a doer of his word. I'm out. I want to do the word. I want to I wanna go to those places. I want to have enough money. I want to buy nations. I want to get food. I want to do all those things because that's the heart cry of God. Amen? He's returning, and it's not his will that any man perish. Amen? Guess what? You're the light in wherever you live right now. Wherever you work, wherever you live, whatever neighborhood you're in, you're the light. You're the one. If you keep looking for somebody to come to be that light, just go look in the mirror. It's you. You're there. It's God's will for each and every one of us to share our hearts and to share the gospel to get people born again. It is. There's so much more than just coming to church. It's a lifestyle. Amen? It's a lifestyle. I have no idea where I'm going right now.
Thank you, Lord. That's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. You know, one of the things about the rapture, and this is where people, you know, have different thoughts, is that you're either pre, mid, or post tribulation for the rapture of the church. We believe that the church is raptured at the beginning, that the church is taken out, that it's not God's will, that any of us should go through his wrath. The Bible says that four times in the Bible. Let me give you some scripture on that, okay? He tells us primarily that it's not his will. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. It's not his will for any of us to go through the wrath that is to come. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, he is the one who has raised us from the terrors, who's rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. It's not God's will. A lot of people like to put the church in the middle of the tribulation, in the middle of judgment, and God did not create us for wrath. He created us for his rest, not for his wrath. So there's a, we have what's called a pre-tribulation mentality at West Houston. When I study the Bible, I see that the church is taken out, and that's the thing that sets in motion all of the end times things, the appearing of the Antichrist, the whole 666, the one world government, the one girl world finance, all those things do you notice in the book of Revelation it doesn't talk about the church a whole lot? Do you know why? Because we're not here. We're there at an awards banquet. God knew to get all his kids together, he was going to have to have a barbecue. So we go to heaven for seven years. Amen. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And we spend it with Jesus, and then we return at the second coming. Some people believe that the church is raptured mid-tribulation, that we'll go through the first three and a half years. That kind of messes up, once again, us going through wrath and those types of things. And some people believe that the church is raptured at the end of the seven-year period. But that would mean we just go up and turn around and come right back at the second coming. We just make a giant U-turn. So how many of us believe that God is good? Would God save us to put us through wrath? Does he love you? Does he love your kids? Amen. That's the God that we serve. It's not his will for us to go through his wrath. It's not his will at all. Now, there's a lot going on during that seven-year period here in the earth, a whole lot. As I said, the minute that the church is taken out, you're going to have the appearance of one, probably the most famous biblical character of all time that we don't know, and that's the Antichrist. But that Antichrist spirit is already at work. It's already been at work here for years and years and years, and it's not going to be as hard as you think for him to ascend to whatever throne he's going to ascend to because the groundwork is already here. It's already been made. But the most important thing is that we have to have a hope in his return. His return is your great reward. Amen? Just think about this right now. You're going to hear that trumpet. There's going to be a trumpet, and everyone's going to hear it, whether they're saved or unsaved. And in an instant, let me read that verse for you. 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 so I can give you some scriptures so that when people question you about this, you can answer them with the word. A lot of times what gets us mixed up with our theology is that, and this is what really set me free, is when I found out that when Jesus was talking in Matthew 25, Luke 17, uh, and Mark 13, Jesus is speaking to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews about a second coming. He's talking to the Jews about a tribulation period because at that time they weren't saved. Paul is talking to the church about a rapture. Jesus was talking to the Jews about a second coming. You have to understand that the whole book, the whole seven-year period of tribulation is we go back to the Old Testament for a seven-year period, and God finishes his work with Israel. It's all about Israel, that last seven years. Does everybody understand that? It's all about Israel over that seven-year period. That's where the temple is built. That's where the Antichrist is. That's where the seat of power is. That's where all these plagues from Genesis that we all read about with Moses, the water turning to blood, the earthquakes, the hailstones, all those things happen again. It's like we're going back. You have two Old Testament prophets, Enoch and Elijah, preaching the gospel from the temple. Fire coming out of their mouths. Now, go figure that one out. I mean, you talk about heartburn, that's heartburn. But you're going to have, but yet people still are not going to believe on our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet people are still, because they want comfort, because they want easy, they'll take that mark because they would figure that if I take that mark, it'll buy me a little bit of easiness. But that little bit of easiness is going to cost them an eternity of hard. Remember what we talked about last week? I don't want to be easy. I don't want easy. Amen? Amen. I could go a lot of different directions. I do want to give you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's begin in verse uh, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But here we go, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortality must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? And I love verse 58 because this tells us what our posture should be right now. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. We should be working right now. This is our posture as the church. What should the church be doing right now? We should be working. We should be abounding. We should be doing everything that we can do to prepare ourselves and those that are around us. Is everybody in your life saved? then guess what? You have a project. Take their name, write it down on a piece of paper, pray for them every morning. Pray for opportunities to talk to them, to share the gospel with them. 
Amen? That's our job. There's no greater thing you can use your faith on than to believe God for the soul of someone else. Use your faith. Believe God for somebody. Don't go on this trip alone. We want to take everybody that we can with us. Amen? Amen. Let me give you one more verse. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Only because these are kind of the foundational scriptures that we like to use. You know, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. That's a word that we've made up, but there is what is called the catching away. And that's more, more accurately of what it is. It's the great catching away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's look at verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And it says, man, I am so messed up on my verses this morning. Was that it? Yeah. Do we have that in the Amplified? 1 Thessalonians 1.10 in the Amplified? And how you look forward to and wait the coming of his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who personally rescues and delivers us out from the wrath. Amen. We read that one once before. Okay, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm telling you, it's the handheld mic this morning. It's not my fault. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, that's the word, caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These words are supposed to bring comfort to us. They're not supposed to scare us. The rapture shouldn't scare anybody. The book of Revelations, there's a blessing associated with reading the book of Revelation. These are not things to fear. Okay, but pastor, I'm afraid of heights. Okay, that's a whole different conversation for a whole different time. He's not gonna let you go. He's not gonna get you halfway and decide, eh, not so sure about this one. The whole purpose of this morning is to make us more aware of the world that's around us and the people that are around us. We have this hope of his return. He is coming back and he's coming back soon. And we don't want anybody to be left behind. Amen? Amen, let's stand to our feet. Well, pastor, how do I know if I'm going in the rapture? Well, I'm so glad you asked. You have to have faith for the rapture. We all got saved by faith. We all got baptized in the Holy Ghost by faith. We have to believe. Amen? Listen to me. There are Christians that are not going to go in the rapture. We have to use our faith to believe. That's why it's in the Bible. That's why we preach it, so we can build our faith that we want to. Who wants to go? First load. I'm going in the first load. Amen? I'll see you when you get there. If you want to stick around, I'm going in the first load. Me and my family, we're going to grab hands. We're all going to go together. 
but there's only one prerequisite, and that's that you make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. And if you've never done that this morning, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, it's very, very simple. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a cult. You're joining the family of God, and you're putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have something, Mom? Years back, I had a dream that I was getting raptured, and um, I, I got so excited. I was asleep, and I was dreaming, and I and I saw myself. I won't go into the whole dream, but just <clears throat> I was talking to somebody at my front door, and I was telling them that. Um, well, I guess I'll have to tell the whole thing. <clears throat> I had my bathing suit on, and I was, in, uh, and they were saying, "You need to go on out in the front yard." And I said, "No, I'm not going to go out there. I'm in my bathing suit." And I said, "Besides, have you seen the sky out there?" Now I'm asleep, having this dream, and it was a a white, 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 pasty white sky. And um, I said, I took them out the door, and I said, "Look at that!" And and as we looked up, we put my hands up, and I started lifting up off of the ground, and I went, "Oh." We're going, we're going, it's here, it's, we're going, we're going. And, and I, I started screaming so much it woke me up because I was getting so excited and exhilarated over it. And, and I woke myself up and I woke him up and he got up, <laughs> left the room. He was so mad because I woke him up. But uh, so I'm laying there thinking, you know, Lord, what, what, what is this? Because I don't have a lot of, didn't have a lot of dreams or anything. It was, it was unusual for me. And uh, I said, I don't have a lot of influence necessarily, like a massive amount of influence. But I said, so why would you give that to me? Why don't you give it to somebody that's going to get it out there to people that, that this is rapture? And, uh, and I said, what do you want me to gain from this? What, do I, what are you saying to me? And this is it. It's it being prepared because I was aware, I was aware that as I lifted up, if I'd have had any weight on me, I would not have lifted, been light, you know. And I said, so what do you want me to gain from this and to tell the people? And he said, tell them to deal with issues quickly and travel light. That's good. That means unforgiveness. Absolutely. Uh, let me qualify. They do have a swimming pool, so being in a bathing suit was not weird. <laughs> Just want to qualify that. Amen. But the Bible says that if you'll just confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you'll be saved. So if you would like to do that, just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I want to know your Son. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I believe in you. Clean me up, heal me of my diseases, deliver me from my addictions, give me a hunger for your word, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Glide me, lead me to a good church, in Jesus' name. Amen. That's just the start. Amen. I've been on this journey for over 30 years, and let me tell you, it works. I'm a user of the product, and it works. Every part of it works. Living for God, there's no greater thing than to live for God. There's no higher honor than to live for God, to be chosen by God. We are a truly blessed people. We love you. 
uh, Jesus is Lord. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Amen. We're going to bless the dads next Sunday. And uh, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.